You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Break a Bat podcast where baseball meets Broadway. An attempt to show that my two favorite mediums don't have to live in such separate worlds and maybe even break some stigmas. We're happy to have you with us. Now let's play ball. Hello and welcome to Break a Bat, where baseball meets Broadway and sports meets show business. I'm your host, Al Malafrante, coming at you with a very special kickoff to the holiday season here in the batter's box, and I couldn't be more pumped for it. Uh, This time of year has always been my favorite in general, but also from a hosting perspective. Uh, I haven't done this show for over two years and over 100 episodes now. I find it no coincidence that my short list of favorite shows has always seemed to fall from October onwards. Uh, And just getting behind the mic today, I kind of felt this sense of magic and excitement that you could rank up there with the anticipation I feel uh, before a big Yankee playoff game. Today, we're going to welcome someone who I've always wanted to have on Break a Bad, and I put off the reach out because I wanted to make it a special occasion, and there's nothing more special than the holidays here in New York, and I think the work that my guest today does, both on screen and off of it, very much embodies what this time of year is all about. For the folks at home, I'm not sure what age demo you're in today, but our special hitter has a body of work in show business that now spans nearly three decades. She got her start on the Mickey Mouse Club back in 1993, helped form the girl group Innocence soon thereafter, starred in the MTV hit dramedy Awkward, and in recent years has really cemented herself as part of the fabric of the holiday season as one of the true faces of the Hallmark Channel's phenomenal lineage of Christmas films. Uh, What I've always admired about our special hitter is how regardless of her success, she's always been so down to earth. Uh, She's a tremendous advocate for both the Alzheimer's Association, the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles, two organizations that are tremendously close to her heart. Uh, most recently on screen, she starred in Taking the Reins on Hallmark, which just premiered you know, a few weeks ago to give us all those fall vibes that we love. And on Saturday, November 20th, you'll see her back on the Hallmark All-Star team when she returns to Hallmark Movies and Mysteries, Miracles of Christmas lineup with an all-new film titled Five More Minutes, in which she stars, and we're beyond excited about that. I'm so grateful she could join us tonight. So with that being said, I ask you all to please turn your attention to Home Plate, just beyond the marquee, now batting Nikki Deloach. Nikki, welcome to Break a Bat. <laughs> that was such an incredible introduction. Thank you so much. I, I'm so honored. 
it never gets old to hear your stats on the back of the baseball card, right? <laughs> well, I hear 30 years and I'm like, ooh, ouch. But, uh, you know, I have to say it is something I'm also really it's easy to look at that and go, oh man, I must be really old. Except for I started when I was like seven. And um, I think, the, the, you know, it's humbling because the fact that I, I've, I've made it 30 years and I can pay my bills doing this, I feel is the equivalent of like winning an Oscar because it is so hard, which is one of the things I love about your podcast. You're blending two worlds that I feel like are so similar um, in sports and entertainment, because it's, you know, you never know what's going to happen. You never know if your effort is going to pay off in the end, right? There's a thousand different things that can get in the way of that. Um, and also you never know if you're going to be able to actually make a living doing what you love to do inside of this. So the fact that I've been able to do that, um, is really, I mean, there's been some really, (laughs) really bad years. Um, but the fact that I've been able to do it is, is truly a blessing. You know, it's interesting. You talk about your saying power, for example. Um, it didn't necessarily turn out for, it doesn't turn out like that for most people who start at the age that you did. Why do you, what do you attest your success and longevity to at the end of the day, Nikki? I'm pretty good with rejection. <laughs> I, you know, I, I had one of those, you know, mothers and grandmothers as a young girl who was very honest about things like, um, your forehead's too big. Your hair looks terrible that way. You need to put on some lipstick. You shouldn't like, you know, so I was very used to constructive criticism and also very used to just kind of getting told things that you're like, ouch, that hurts. But also at the same time, you got to figure out a way to just keep going. And I actually am so grateful for it because I think it really served me in this industry because I've been rejected so many times. I have quote unquote failed so many times. And yet I'm that person that's like, cool, see you next week. (laughs) (laughs) Nikki, we're going in a different direction. Great. Let's go to lunch on Tuesday. Like, I mean, I, (laughs) I, so I think that's one of the things is the fact that like I had to get really comfortable. And also I, I experienced a real turning point um, I would say in my twenties, we went through a writer strike in this industry and I had really been, you know, I had gone through some valleys, man, some peaks and been on shows and series regular. And then for a year, like couldn't get a job and then got a job. And then two years during the writer strike, every movie I booked just fell apart. And I pretty much didn't really work except for a few tiny little morsels here and there. And it was at that point that I really, a couple of things happened. Number one, I decided, do I want to stay in this business? Do I love it enough what I do to stay in the game? The conclusion was yes, number one. So how do I maintain my joy and my happiness and also, uh, you know, the playfulness and creativity that you have to have to keep going forward in a business that really seeks to kind of destroy your creative joy (laughs) and your self-worth at the same time. So how do I do that? And so 
I really kind of decided like, number one, I got to diversify my portfolio in terms of the things that help me to bring in money and also things that make me happy because all of my eggs were put into one basket for the majority of my life at that point. And so this, I became a teacher, you know, I started writing, I got interested in producing I, you know, I really began to diversify. And once I opened up my mind and really opened up my heart and saw that there was other avenues to be a storyteller, truly, then it became so much easier when the no's came, no after no after no, because I was like, all right, whatever, moving on, because I got this other thing that I'm doing and I'm going to go do that. You know, what's interesting. I, I primarily know you from your work on screen, but even in interviews that you've done in the past, you just strike me as a very positive person. When, the, mm-hmm. when things weren't going your way, did you ever stray from that at all? Because I feel like oh, you, yeah. you did. Interesting. Hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> oh. <laughs> my favorite, one of my favorite songs, by the way. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, yeah, there were some really dark valleys that I had to sit in. And I think, you know, we're a society that's so obsessed with the light, right? Finding the light and, and staying in the light. But the problem with that is the darkness is where we learn. That is where we transform. That is when we expand, right? And it's an opportunity. So not being afraid of being in the darkness is really critical because if we can trust ourselves inside of it and know that it's for us and it's on purpose, then the people that we become on the other side of it, you know, we're more resilient. We are more grounded. We are more focused on what's really important. And we learn the lessons that we need to become the people we were put here to be. You know, one thing that you said before that really stuck with me and uh, it kind of leads me to something I wanted to touch on. You talked about coming back from your failures. You know, in baseball, you could fail seven out of 10 times and make it to the Hall of Fame. You know, a 300 hitter fail, you could strike out seven at bats in a row. But if he goes three for three, or even if, you know, intermittently he goes, you know, one for three per game, he's a 333 hitter. That's right. Um, That's right. you have a little or, bit of a... Or think about it. Think about Tyler. Uh, is it Tyler Matzik who plays for... Does he play for the Braves? Think uh, about Tyler, him. yes. So he went away for like 10 years. He w- he like came out of the gates like guns blazing. And then in like 2000 and something, 9, 10. And then went away for like 10 years. And then is now like coming back and having a moment, you know... I think about those players too. It's not just the ones that go and like are really in a slump in terms of their batting, but what about the people who like have to go back down to the minors and like eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Yeah, yeah, yes. that's right. There's you know been examples of guys. I mean, Kurt Warner, different sport, you know, was but same. Uh, stocking you know stocking shelves at a supermarket, for example, that's goes ex- away and goes on yep. to ultimate glory. And you know, you mentioned your Atlanta Braves. That's the thing about Tyler Matzik. He's not just pitching in the big leagues, which is an impressive feat in itself, but he's doing it on a great team. I, uh, I, I really questioned whether or not it was a coincidence that you came on as your hometown Atlanta Braves might be headed to the World Series. Are you, how stoked are you right now, Nikki? It's pretty cool. I've got to admit, it's really, it's really cool. And I don't know if you know, but I have some friends that play in Major League Baseball. Um, my brother played baseball at UGA, um, and he played with a group of kids who are, I mean, 
the brotherhood that existed between these boys. I've got stories that just would make you cry. Like, um, for example, you know, their freshman year, freshman year, um, uh, Chance Beasy, who was an all-state player at the time, all of these kids that were already really close friends, they had been traveling and playing against each other for years. And um, they all ended up going and getting on the team at UGA. And Chance, in his freshman year, he got hit by a car and was paralyzed from the waist down. And these boys... um, I mean, and this is a kid who would have 100% gone to play pro. Like he wouldn't even have, they would have plucked him out of college before he even finished. He was that good. And it was, these kids all came together and rallied and, you know, went to his parents and said, we'll take care of him. He needs to stay in college with us. Don't take him home. Don't bring him home. Let him stay with us. We will take care of him. We will transform our house to make it handicap safe, uh, safety. We will do everything that we need to do. And the brotherhood there that exists is such a beautiful thing, but it was my brother, Brett Deloach, Alex Wood. <laughs> oh, yeah, former, yeah, a, pit, a pitcher. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. I remember he was an all-star on... Giants. Yes, and mm-hmm. he was an all-star with either the Reds or the Dodgers. He Very good pitcher. Very good pitcher. Kyle Farmer, who's having a moment with the Reds right now. So he... But, and, and the crazy thing is, is, so Alex gets... You know, he gets on the Dodgers. Kyle is like you know, busting his butt in the minors. And I mean, like when I say, I mean, like, you know, you get paid like $4 a week in the minors, you know, it's, it's, it is really tough. And Kyle then finally gets a chance. He works his butt off and finally gets a chance to be bumped up to the uh, majors and he, the Dodgers take him. So Alex and Kyle play on the Dodgers (laughs) at the same time. He comes I don't know if you saw the video of Kyle's first hit, as a major league pay- player, I don't know if you said for like, it was insane. And I couldn't even like two of my like family, the two of them are family here. They are playing on the Dodgers and I get to go to the stadium and I get to like watch them. And then, you know, they, one went to the Reds and eventually went, uh, you know, Alex went to the giants. Um, but you know, we, I, I talk all the time about the fact that like the journey of the entertainer and the journey of the athlete are so just to bring it around to where we started they're so similar they're you know i mean even down to the fact that like you are a commodity to a business and you can be traded you can be like just let go you can i mean like you know it's they think they don't think of you necessarily sometimes as a human being and instead like you are a business deal now, is the reason why you've stayed a part of the Hallmark team for so long because they don't think of you as a commodity, so to speak? Because it is still a business. I mean, is that part of why, though? Because of that, like, you know, yeah. that culture, the organizational culture that certain baseball teams have, for example, that makes it appealing for players to stay? Yeah, actually. I think that when you've been treated as a commodity your entire career, that when you find a place where somebody treats you like a human being, you, you want to stay and you want to be a part of that. And you, not just that, but you want to help them build it. Right. You know, and, and Hallmark has been, it's unlike any other network I've ever worked for 
you know, how many networks can you just pick up the phone? And, you know, unless you're like the biggest star on that network, you know, uh, as like Carrie Washington was when she was doing her show on ABC, I'm sure she could have picked up the phone and called the head of ABC. But for me, you know, I've never been in a position and I've worked for, you know, so many networks where I could just pick up a phone and call the head of the network and, and have a real conversation or, you know, um, have lunch with the executives and not have to talk about business, but how are you as a human being? How can I support you as a human being? You know, there's so many executives at Hallmark that I've never even worked with, but I know them as friends. We go to lunch as friends and that's just, you know, some, it's just such a culture that is unique and rare in this industry. And I am all for it. You know, you talk about a unique culture and it actually takes me back, you know, to great leadership that your Atlanta Braves had under Ted Turner when guys like John Smoltz and Tom Glavin and Greg Maddox had an opportunity to leave for big contracts and free agency but they didn't because they were so enamored with the way they were treated as human beings. And, you know, they went on to accomplish many great things with the Braves. I have to know as a kid, were you going to Fulton County stadium and then Turner field to catch a lot of Braves games while they were winning those division titles? No, we didn't really have the money for that. Whenever I was younger. Um, I mean, my, you know, my parents worked so hard. My dad worked six day weeks, but my mother was a teacher and, uh, teachers, I mean, even in 2021 do not make what they deserve to make, but imagine back then what they were making. So we didn't really have the money to do that. Um, but you know, we go all the like my husband and I, we go all the time to watch Dodgers games. We take our boys, um, it's one of my favorite things in the world to do is go to a sporting event. I grew up playing sports. I'm a big believer in women and girls playing sports. Um, especially growing up in the South, because, you know, it seems very clear that like a lot of people raise their, their daughters to be these princesses with these dresses and their hair with the bows and the this and I was not interested in being a princess unless it was Princess Leia. She was life-changing to me. I was like, wait, she's the head of the resistance? She's the leader? She's the leader of the army? What? Wait, women get to do that? Like, I literally, it just blew my mind. Blew my mind. I fanned forever because it was the first time I saw a princess that I could get down with, right? <laughs> and so I was I was an athlete. I played basketball. I played softball. I played any kind of ball that you can put in my hands. I was a dancer for 20 years. I was a gymnast for 13 years. Um, I was an athlete, you know? And I... I I feel that the power of young girls learning to work on a team is so valuable and it's so valuable for boys, but we talk about it with boys. We don't talk about it a lot with girls. And I feel like it has served me so well in my life to really be able to pull people together and see like, oh, where's the person's strength, right? Right. Where is this person strong? Uh, um, Abby Wambach was talking recently in an interview and I was like, yes, yes, yes. That's exactly right. She was saying that like on the women's, uh, you know, soccer team, she was saying that the cool thing about that specific team was that, you know, people didn't go, oh, well, she's strong in that. I got to get stronger so I can beat her. There was none of that. It was like, okay, well, I know my strengths 
and I know my weaknesses, but where I'm weak, this player is strong. And where she's weak, this other player is strong. And you learn to really lean into everybody else's strengths by also acknowledging the things that you aren't as, as strong in. And I think that you learn that stuff when you grow up playing ball, you're like, okay, I'm not the best free throw shooter, but you know who is, you know, Angie, like, so you start to learn that and it really, 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 really helps you and serves you later on in life, especially in team building. Right. You know, it's funny. It, it, it What you just said kind of takes me to a quote that another great leader that I admire said was uh, Glenn Fry. I'm a big Eagles fan. He mm. said, you know, it's like a rock, a rock band's not a perfect democracy. Uh, not everybody, what, what was the line? It was like, not everybody gets to touch the ball all the time. But acknowledging that though, even as like a great front man or a front woman, Huge. you know, in the sport that you're playing in on stage or set, that that really goes a long way. And it, it allows... I don't know. It just allows you to recognize what's best for the overall group. And I think that's what separates the greats, right? That's really what separates the greats. Yes. It's, you know, taking the reins. um, You mentioned the, the fall movie that I did for Hallmark. Well, I did that with this incredible human being named Scott Porter, who played my co-star and he's Friday night lights alum. Um, I mean, he's been on 130 different shows, a uh, really accomplished actor. And um, we were very lucky to get him. And I was talking to him last night, actually, because while shooting that movie, my dad was dying. And it was the hardest thing um, doing that movie was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Um, I didn't want to leave my dad. I was there with him for three weeks. Um I had to go do this thing. I was producing it. I had my writing partner and I were producing it. We had rewritten the script um, and we were both starring in it and pulling out just really wasn't an option. It would have been a really poor thing for me to do. Uh, But I knew what kind of headspace I needed to be in to be the number one on the call sheet on one of these movies, right? Because the way I like to be on a movie set is not only like you show up every day prepared, like ready to go. Like we're not going to be practicing on set when it's time to shoot. We are playing a game, right? It is the championship game. You come to play. And, um, but also it's the way that you treat people and engage with people on a daily basis. You see them, you see everyone from the craft services to the director, to the electrics and grip and everybody, and you make sure they're taken care of and they have everything they need. And well, that's how I like to be on a set. I did not have it in me to be a hundred percent of who I was because I was just trying to get through the day. And Scott Porter, the incredible human and leader that he is, he also, by the way, played football. I think he actually got a football scholarship to go to college and play football um, in Florida. And so that's where he started. And maybe that's why he is the way he is, too. We both come from athletics. He just, like, stepped in. And I told him last night, I said, I, I, I don't know how to, th- I can't thank you enough. I am so grateful for the human being that you are because while you, because you were there, I was able to not fall apart. And, you know, I think that that's so important to bring people into your world who also you know, have incredible leadership skills. I like to say, I like to hire people that are better and smarter than me 
Because, I mean, yeah. like, it's only going to help. <laughs> well, no, it's, you yeah, and I usually don't agree with Alex Rodriguez, but one quote of his that stands out to me a lot is, <laughs> you, are the, <laughs> you are the sum of the five people that you're closest with, the five people that you surround yourself with the most. That's right. Right. So that, I, think, I think that kind of applies there. But that, that's, what, that's another quote that came to mind when he said that. Yeah, I love, yeah, you're right. I don't, uh, I, I don't really quote a rod that much but that that's that is a good one and i will be i will be re-quoting re that one <laughs> yeah, have you ever met him no 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 no, no, no. i would love to see how that interaction <laughs> would go <laughs> hi it's so nice to meet you you're an asshole <laughs> <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm going to leave now. Um, <laughs> I don't know. You know. Maybe he's different in real life. Maybe he's different in person. I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, it's hard to tell who. I, I, I do know that there's a lot of people that I know that people are like, he's a jerk. He's an awful person. But I know that person personally and know them to be amazing. Um, so I don't know. But like from from the outside, right, it, it's it. Uh, A-Rod is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. I'm not sure if you've been watching, because I guess the uh, the Braves have been on TBS for this playoff so far, but uh, he's been doing the the Fox coverage for the American League, and then the World Series would be played on Fox. I do have to ask. I know you've spent some time around Dodger Stadium, but let's say if you know the Dodgers go on to knock out Atlanta, will you still be watching the World Series or will yes. it be you still be watching? Yes. Right, so you'll get a little oh, bit of yeah. A Rod during that. Okay. I'm, and also <laughs> I'm I'm a big Dodgers fan. Um so you're not so, even a Braves fan. I've been talking about like Tom Glavin and John Smoltz too, and you probably don't know. No, I care love the Braves. <laughs> no, I love the Braves. I think like, you know, I grew up in a house where sports were just on the TV all the time. It was like my family would watch the little league championship that was being aired locally, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. they would watch anything sports related. So I, and, and I think that there's, I don't know, there's something beautiful about a bunch of people coming together to cheer people on, you know, especially at a time in our country where things are so, you know, politicized and divided and divisive. It's like you get a bunch of people in a stadium or even sitting at home on their TVs cheering for people and that energy going in <laughs> one straight direction. It's kind of a beautiful thing. It's like the reason I cry when I watch musicals, you know, it's, it's the, it's the, the movement of all of it and all the pieces that came together and the song and the this and the that, it's like kind of the same feeling for me when I go to see a musical. Now, did you always love musicals? Because I've heard oh, you say in the yes. past, like, oh, yeah, interesting, because I've heard you say in the past, that, like when you joined Mickey Mouse Club, for example, singing wasn't your forte. Were you, mm -hmm. so you, were you listening to cast albums and just like not singing along? Have you always loved Broadway? <laughs> Give me some in insight to that. Well, listen, I could sing for sure. You yes, know, you I can. Some, I heard you I, recently in the Hallmark Christmas concert. You did kind of a banger version of Up on the Housetop. I love oh, it. Oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> I I mean, I can carry a tune. I can sing. I did some solos on Mickey Mouse Club. I was in the music business for a long time. Sure. But when you're singing next to the likes of Christina Aguilera, 
Rona Bennett, who's now in In Vogue, um, Jennifer McGill. Uh, you know, I, I like when you're singing next to those people, you kind of just like let them have the mic and you get in the background and you dance real hard for them. You know, you like, give, <laughs> you know, you give them some like really good, like background vocals, some really soft, nice background vocals. You do not get in their way. You just like support them from behind and just like, you know, dance and do your thing. And that was another great thing about that show is kind of teaching you at a really young age that about the Mickey Mouse Club, that everybody gets their turn, right? Everybody gets their turn. You're not going to be the star every single day. You're not going to get all the solos. You're not going to get all the skits. You're not going to get all of that. Everybody takes a turn. And that was a really cool thing. I think, again, served me so much growing up of like when I go in to get a role and then I find out this person got it. And I'm like, you know what? It was her turn. Good for her. Right? Yeah. It's a, as far as the Broadway thing goes, then how'd you get into like, cause oh. you know, growing up in Georgia and not going to shows as a kid and everything, was there a certain introduction that you had to the musical yeah. theater scene? My grandmother, my Nana. So Nana, Mary Thompson, um, who's, oh my gosh, that's so weird. She just called, like literally just called me as I said her name. That was Bring her so on. crazy. <laughs> she, and, uh, and here is Nana. Uh, she would, uh, n- listen, Al, if you think I can talk, Nana can talk, okay? I probably got it from her. So my Nana had actually a beautiful voice. And she, her dream was actually to be a singer. But, you know, this was so many years ago and small town. It was never really going to happen for her. But I would watch musicals with her. I stayed with her every weekend. And we would go to the video store and we would rent movies. And, I mean, I must have watched everything from the sound of music to my fair lady to funny girl. Funny girl is one of my favorite movies of all time. I love musicals singing in the rain, make them laugh, make them laugh is one of my favorite pieces of just anything that I've ever seen in a movie. That scene, what she does in that scene um, is just incredible. I, so you know, that's where my, like, I was like, oh my gosh, people do this. Like they make, like they actually do this, this thing that I love doing. I started as a dancer, like they actually like do it and it becomes a movie or a musical or, you know, it was just a mind blowing thought for me as a kid that like, you can actually do that for a living. And So that's, I just was like, I'm got to do that, you know? And so it started with dancing and then I got in singing lessons and then I won a talent competition that took me to Los Angeles. And then at that talent competition in Los Angeles, there were a bunch of agents there and, um, they were like, can you, you know, I was 11 and my mom was, and they asked my mom if she could move out to LA with me. And she was like, absolutely not. I will not be moving to California. So they told me about, you know, in a year, they're going to have auditions for the new Mickey Mouse Club. And it was a dream come true. It really was. As a kid who started watching musicals at three years old, I was like, I cannot believe I'm about to go do the thing that is my dream. What was LA like? For a young kid. I mean, I know you were with your mother, but did you get into the scene? Like, is it 
tempting and uh, <laughs> seductive in some ways, just because like I it, I know it wasn't New York in you know the early 1990s, but Oof, like what was right? that, what was that scene like? You know, as a young girl. You know, I so uh, Mickey Mouse Club was in Florida. We they had moved everything to Florida, but I did go to LA at 15 after the Mickey Mouse Club was over. And I've kind of lived here, except for when I was in the music business. I've lived here since I was 15. And I can tell you, um, I was not a kid who was interested in going anywhere um, and partying or doing any of that. That really didn't happen until the music business, where I kind of like had the time of my life for about three years. Um, I was really focused on school. I was really focused on my auditions. I was really like, I was that kid that, you know, I was a kid at, that at six years old would say, I need more private lessons. I, you know, I would skip the spend the night parties and instead, because I would want to get up on Saturday morning and go do a private lesson at eight o'clock in the morning. You know, I was just so focused on what I wanted to do because it brought me so much joy to be able to do it. And, um, so I didn't really get in the scene. There was a lot of, I mean, like, you know, there was a lot of kids out here at the time, whenever I was 15 years old, like doing the industry. And I was more of a sit at home with a book kind of kid. Wow. Now you're still out in LA, the rest of the family's still back in Georgia. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now are you going to go back and see them for Christmas? Are they going to come see you? Well, I think I'm going to go my, because, you know, I have uh, two children and the youngest who's four is very um, compromised inside of COVID. He's had three heart surgeries. So um, we can't fly. We drove cross country over the last, like inside of COVID, we drove cross country like three times. So I could spend time with my family, especially my dad. Um, But we're not going to make that drive this Christmas. Um, Instead, I'm going to fly by myself to go see my family before the holidays. And then my, my husband and my kids will have a Christmas here in Los Angeles this year. And it's a bummer. It's a real bummer. But until I'm able to get both of my kids vaccinated, I just can't put them on a plane. Um, You know, you touched on, you know, some of the medical issues that your youngest son goes through. I think it's so admirable what you do from a philanthropy front, um, it, 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 not just with Children's Hospital LA, but of course with uh, the Alzheimer's Association, which I know is also near and dear to your heart because of your grandfather and your father as well. Um, you had a quote, I I just loved it and it really hit home for me. I think you had said once, this is why I work, to have an opportunity to raise awareness. Can you tell the folks at home a little bit about what you're doing this holiday season for both of these causes that are so close to your heart? Thank you for asking that, Ella. And thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, it, you know, my it's so funny because the, like I told you, I was that kid that was so focused on, you know, quote unquote, making it in this business or getting to just survive doing what I love to do. And then, you know, at some point in time in my life, like everything just shifted. And I really learned that actually that's not my purpose, really. Like, you know, I love being an actor. I love being a writer. I love being a producer. It's an incredible job. And it is certainly where my, like so much of my passion resides. But my purpose is in 
serving others. That's why I'm here. That's why I think we're all here is to be of service to humanity. And you can do that through a lot of different, you know, modalities. Like you can do that. And I, my work, what I do allows me to have a platform and it allows me to be able to have a network of people that I can reach out to. Right. So it provides me with a special opportunity to be able to serve in the way that I do. But that is, I work to, in order to be a part of organizations like CHLA and the Alzheimer's Association. So coming up, we have a walk, uh, the Walk to End Alls on November 6th. I do it every year with the Williams sisters, Ashley Williams and Kimberly Williams Paisley. We do a team together. They lost their mother. I lost my grandmother and my dad. Uh, my dad is recently as two months ago. And um and so we, this is a cause that's so near and dear to our heart and the numbers are only going to go up substantially in the next 10 years. So this is something that we really have to now, right now, pour money into research and in order to find, you know, new ways of fighting this neurodegenerative disease, actually. Um, so the Alzheimer's Association, the thing that's so cool about them is like, of course, we have the NIH, which is the National Institute of Health. It's a government agency and they are researching, you know, a hundred different diseases or illnesses. And the red tape there is tremendous, right? It's a great organization. But what the Alzheimer's Association does is if you pour your money into them, a study that the NIH might not even be able to get to until 10 years from now, they can do it now. They can do it today. And they will they will be able to have an answer on this study in a shorter period of time. So it makes sense to pour your money, if you care about Alzheimer's, if you care about dementia, your money and your energy into organizations that are on the ground doing this work now. Um, so the walk is on November 6th. You can go to Instagram uh, uh, on my page, Nick Deloach, N-I-K-D-E-L-O-A-C-H. You can click on my link tree and then you can, it'll say 2021 Walk to End Alzheimer's. You can go and donate or you can go and join my team and walk with us from anywhere around the country or around the world. So that's what we're doing. That's what we've got upcoming up for Alzheimer's and then CHLA. Um, so I'm a board member there. So the work there is all year round. Um, you know, we have March Matters and we have fundraising events that are, you know, throughout the year. And then specifically around the holidays, you know, one of my favorite things to do is to sponsor a family. Because all of these families then have to spend Christmas and the holidays. And some of these kids have been there for months. I mean, and some of them are just there for a couple of weeks. But imagine spending Christmas in, inside of a hospital. And some of these families, you know, when I did it the first year, um, you get this list of Christmas, of a wish list from a family. And the mother wrote down, she was a single mother. She had three kids and she wrote down, I mean, like literally this has been like four years ago and it still makes me cry thinking about it. Um, she wrote down toilet paper and I was like, toilet paper? Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. That, that's how basic the needs are for some of these families. Like not only are their kids fighting an illness that, you know, they, you know, in a children's hospital of Los Angeles, the cool thing is you can come from anywhere in the world or anywhere in the country or, you know, and obviously California 
and we will figure out a way to pay for your kid to get health care. No child is turned away ever. And that's why we raise so much money for the hospital. And kids do come from all over because the specialized care that they are given at a hospital like CHLA is unmatched. I mean, they're curing childhood blindness there. It is remarkable the things that they are doing. And so, you know, for me, there is nothing more important than saving the life of a kid, period. You're amazing. You know that? <laughs> I'm serious. It's just like, I, I know how genuine this is to you. And that's, that's why, like I said, I wanted to have you on this time of year because, I mean, this this is a message that people need to get behind now more than ever, especially, you know, it's just, it's so refreshing to hear that people like you are using your platform the way that they are. And, and just mm-hmm. stories like that really, you know, uh, make me want to contribute and all the folks at home should as well, however they can just un- unreal Nikki. Thank you, Al. I really appreciate that so much. I mean, it is everything. It really is like when, you know, the basic necessities of life. And when I, you know, I am a person who is a big person of faith. And I think that we sometimes, you know, get very confused about what that looks like without putting anyone's, the way that they move through their faith. I'm, I'm not trying to put anyone down, but like really and truly, we are supposed to come to this earth to serve humanity. Like if you want to talk about the walk of Jesus, right? What did Jesus do? He went to those who are in need. And for me, the greatest measure of a good country is how we take care of those who are most vulnerable and we can do better and we need to do better. I'm in your camp, Nikki. Um, one thing I do want to make sure I touch on because I know our time's short is, uh, you know, you have a new film coming out in just <laughs> another week or so here on November 20th. Um, I, I know Hallmark's on some creative stuff before, but this new one you're in, Five More Minutes, I found it interesting that a Scott McCreary song inspired this one. I know you've been in pretty involved on the production side of things over at the network. Did you have anything to do with this particular idea and bringing it to life? <laughs> well, it's so funny because... While I was filming Five More Minutes, the movie that my writing partner and I wrote was filming right down the street, which is so cool. (laughs) All the Hallmark lot. (laughs) Yeah, which is AKA Canada. Um, So we, you know, that was a really cool experience to, you know, that was a movie that we wrote that I didn't have any intentions of being in. It's, um, you know, these kids, 29 year olds, we wanted to do a movie and I'll get into five more minutes in a second, but the one that we wrote that I would love people to also see, it's called Christmas for keeps. And, um, we wanted to do something really different at the network as writers. We wanted to create essentially the, what is the big chill version of Hallmark? Like, what would that look like if we did that on the network with an ensemble cast where the, the A storyline was not a romance? And also, how do we really, so both myself and my writing partner are both educators, you know, um, her actually, literally she has her master's, two master's in education, um, me just as an acting teacher, but my mom was an educator. My sister was an educator. They're lifers. They've spent their whole lives in education. 
And my greatest inspirations in my life, the majority of them were all teachers. And so we were like, how do we also honor, especially in this year and a half, that has been such a nightmare for so many teachers and the ways that they have shown up for these students and some of them not given the things that they need, you know, in a pandemic. Um, And here they are showing up and doing the hard work. So how do we also honor them? So it's a movie about a group of friends coming together for the first time in a long time. It is about honoring educators and what they give us and how they inspire us. And um, it's beautiful. And it's called Christmas for Keeps. Um, But I never wanted to be in that one. I just wanted to write. And the other one is called Five More Minutes. And I have to say, it was sent to me, the script was sent to me by Hallmark, um, like just after my dad died, literally the night before my dad's funeral, um, I couldn't sleep all night long. So I decided just to open, I was like, well, I might as well read the script because they need an answer on whether I can, you know, do it or not. The movie or the song, Five More Minutes, Scotty wrote it about his grandfather who had passed and he made a wish that he could just have five more minutes with him. And so I, I'm reading this script. My dad has just died, like literally two days prior, just died. My dad, who was my North Star, my, my, my source of unconditional love in my life. And I'm reading the script about grief and going, how am I going to be able to do this? Like emotionally, how am I going to be able to do this? I don't know, but I prayed about it. And I, I, I was given the answer that I had to you know, and it's this beautiful story about finding different ways to connect to those who have crossed over, to those we have lost. And what I have learned in my journey of my dad, especially with the journey of dementia, they always say, people say like, they're not there. They're nowhere inside there. They're gone. They're gone. You know, you don't need to see them or you don't need like, they don't know who you are. They don't like, I have witnessed the complete opposite. My dad may not have been able to say my name. That man knew exactly who I was because his soul knew who I was. There were things that happened with my dad that can only be described as, wow, that is a soul connection and it is divine. He knew exactly who I was. He waited for me. So I wrapped taking the reins. I got home. I got to bed at 5 a.m. And the last thing I had said to him before I left for Connecticut is I'm going away for three weeks. If you can hold on, sorry, if you can hold on, I will be back. I will be back. And I want to hold your hand. Don't take your last breath in this world without me. That man, he held on, Al. Like I took the last flight out of the Northeast, like literally had to drive to JFK to get to him. I got to him at 11 o'clock at night. He passed at 1.11 in the morning. He waited for me. And that soul connection, we forget about how big and divine and powerful it is. And it extends beyond physicality. And I think for me, you know, doing this movie was a love letter to my dad of like, I will never let go of hope that you are right there with me all the time, right? And I think that like, especially in a year and a half where we've lost hundreds of thousands of human beings, 
there's never been more of more there's never been a, a more important time to say to people have hope right have faith you have not lost them forever they are still there and this movie is about that about not losing hope inside you know your heartache um and it was such a a gift to be able to do it and i feel a part of me actually healed doing it i can't wait to watch it nikki um bring your kleenex (laughs) what'd you say bring your kleenex (laughs) yeah i mean um first of all i mean i'm so i knew it was recent and i'm so sorry for your loss and i'm so grateful that you were down to you know, obviously come on the show today, but, you know, to talk about this in such a personal way, I just, um, you know, knowing some of the inspiration behind your performance, I think that, you know, I don't want to make this just the compliment show, but there's a reason why your work, you know, sticks with so many people like myself. And, you know, I, I really hope all the folks that I'm listening today, watch, watch this because, uh, yeah, just what you just said is just, um, it hits home. It hits home for me personally too, which Mm. you're awesome. Seriously. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And thank you for letting me share it. I mean, some, so many people get really uncomfortable, you know, when, when people get emotional or when they talk about really hard things or grief. And I have found that our society has a really interesting relationship with hard feelings. Right. But to me, you know, we run away from pain. We try to avoid pain. We don't want to, but what I have found is what you're really running away from is your healing. You have to be able to trust that you can feel heartbreak and heartache and you can feel grief and it's okay. Right. And that's where the healing is. And so I, you know, I'm, it helps to be able to talk and share this, I feel, because we don't feel so isolated inside of, you know, the hard things that we're going through. Well, you know, especially around the holidays, you know, it's on your mind now more than ever, of course. You know, I I, I went through the loss of my dad when I was in high school and, you know. Um, oh, I'm so, so sorry, Al. That's all right. I, you know, but this... Yours is a message that people need to hear, uh, especially those that have been through uh, these types of heartbreaks. And I'm going to – I, I, I want to move on to Fastball Derby before I start. Yeah. Uh, let's do you, it. Let's play let's a game. All right. It. Yeah, let's do let's it. I want you yeah. – Okay. Uh, you moving see how on. we give it? Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna, for this <laughs> Fastball Derby will be like an extra innings installment of sorts. Um, I want you to uh, – <laughs> Uh, all right, Nikki. So you should say, like, picture yourself in the bottom of the ninth. Picture yourself in uh, the bottom of the tenth. The game is on the line. Uh, Araldus Chapman is on the mound, throwing 100 miles an hour. I'm Araldus Chapman in this case without the uh, neck tattoos um, and uh, the, <laughs> without the ability to throw 105 miles an hour. But I'm going to ask you a question. you got to think quick, like a fastball coming in. I'll ask the okay. question. You tell me the first thing that comes to mind. And okay. since you're such a wonderful storyteller, Feel free to throw some of those in there too. You got Sound it. Good? Okay. I got you. Batter up. Thing you miss most about Georgia. <sighs> <laughs> oh, my family. 
There's so much. There's so much. Like I literally had like a, my head almost exploded because there was so much. I was like the smell of the air, the rain, the farm, the, like I, I could, there's so much, but my family, number one. Favorite New York city meal. Oh, favorite New York city meal. A good slice of pizza. How's the pizza where you grew up, by the way? I've actually never been to Georgia outside of the uh, Atlanta That's probably airport. what you think it is. <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's me. <laughs> I'm yeah. kidding. Yeah. That's about right. Yeah. <laughs> but you there's be- nothing like a good slice of pizza after you've been out, you know, all night or you've had, you know, it's four o'clock in the morning and you're like, oh, I'm going to get a greasy slice of pepperoni pizza and go home and crash. I mean, I just like have so many memories of slices of pizza at 3 a.m. in New York. I love that. That is so, that's such a great answer. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The non-Hallmark Christmas movie you watch every year, no matter what. Elf. Your favorite Muppet. Cookie Monster. That counts. All right. Sesame Street Muppets. I guess that oh, counts. Okay. Muppet. yeah, yeah. Muppets are, which ones are the Muppets? And I'll Kermit tell you. and Gonzo and Animal. Oh, Kermit. Of course. Kermit. Kermit. Yeah. Like, he's the sweetest. <laughs> he, re- he resings Rainbow Connection. Kermit. I know you kind of alluded to what the answer might be for this, but I'm going to ask anyway. Team Jeter or Team A-Rod? Oh, come on. Jeter. You ever meet Jeter? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, Ashley Williams played on a uh, in a celebrity softball game with him once. Oh, she did. How fun! I, I wasn't sure if maybe you've had any interactions with either of them on on that level, but uh, no, no, no. I used to play in celebrity basketball games all the time, but like not, you know, I'm not a softball kind of situation. Interesting. Okay, um, you could be the lead in one Broadway musical. What would it be? Funny girl on Broadway. Fanny Bryce. I could see it. I mean, just like the the role of a lifetime. I mean, but honestly, holy moly, taking on that role. But like, I mean, if you're going to dream, dream big. I like that. Um, All right. Billy Joel or Bruce Springsteen? Oh, dear. Billy Joel. Great answer. I mean, I personally think it's a non-contest, at least for people that, I don't know, I, I have a lot of debates with my friends who are like, Team Bruce, I'm Team Billy. I grew up in Long Island. I don't have that much of a choice, you know what I mean? So. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, okay. Fact about Nikki Deloach that would surprise people the most. I'm terrible with clothes. That does surprise Terrible. me. You're always so well-dressed. Terrible. If, if I look good, it's probably because somebody else picked it out. I mean, like, I, I would literally... I mean, I'm wearing the outfit that I slept in last night. I, it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. This is how disgusting I am, Al. It's 2 o'clock in the afternoon, California time. I slept in this outfit. And then I got up. And then I put shoes on. And then I took my kids to school in this outfit. I ran errands in this outfit. And now I'm doing your podcast in this outfit. I, I like that's how disgusting I am. Like when people don't put clothes on my body, then I'm just wearing essentially something that looks kind of like pajamas every day. It's, it's really sad and gross. 
I know we're in an audio-only format, folks, but Nikki looks great. <laughs> She's just very humble, um, which will uh, <laughs> we'll move on to the uh, final two fastballs here in the Derby. Um, what's your favorite moment in your career, Nikki? Mm. So far, because... Wow, that's hard because, you know, I've had a couple of moments, like Mickey Mouse Club was a moment that was life-changing. Doing the show Awkward was a moment that was life-changing. And at the same time, I would say now really might be my favorite moment in my career because, you know, I now am getting to really be a writer and a producer my partner and I have sold a show. We've sold, you know, a couple of movies thus far. We've written some scripts. We have another show that we're taking out. And the fact that I'm in a place finally where I am getting to do these other, these other ways of telling stories. Right. Um, and I finally have that opportunity to do that is just, it blows my mind. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that for every single human being who trusted me, to, um, you know, not just come on a set and act, but to actually create the content, you know, for that production. It's, it's really cool. So, you know, I've had some really fun moments in my career, but I would have to say that what I'm getting to do right now is, is really my favorite. Lastly, what's the best piece of advice anyone ever gave you? You're, I mean, I, one of the things that's coming to mind right now is, you know, my, my self-worth is not dependent on anything that's outside of me. Nobody gets to determine your self-worth. Every single human being on this planet is completely equal in their value and their humanity. And I don't care what you do. I don't care. Like it's, Meaning like, I don't care if you're making a billion dollars a year or you're making, you know, $10,000 a year. It doesn't matter. Like every single person matters equally. And I think that we live in a society where we so often believe that our self-worth is, you know, um, it's attached to things or clothes or cars or, you know, projects or how successful we become or what somebody says, whether even if it's our mother or our father, right? Our self-worth is not determined by anything that is outside of us. And I think if we can teach that to kids at a very young age, then we probably would have a different world. Nikki, uh, just such an amazing hour with you. I, uh, <laughs> I cannot thank you enough for coming on today. This was just, I mean, I can't think of a better kickoff to the holiday season here on Break of Bat. Seriously, I hope you enjoyed it. I had so much fun. I mean, I literally got to talk about like two of my favorite things, which is, you know, storytelling and entertainment and sports. Like I really and truly am like, this is such a smart, smart idea. Like, I love it. Thank you for coming up with it. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's don't give me too much credit, but um, I, I'm just glad that, you know, that it's in the place it's in, that I could have folks like you on the show. And uh, one thing I want to make sure I touch on before we close out the ball game is I know that you're working on a pretty unique project uh, based on the Fugitive Safe Surrender program. Can you tell the folks at home a little bit more about that? Yes. Yeah, so Fugitive Safe Surrender is um, it's a program that existed uh, that we need to bring back 
really. And that's really the goal behind this project for me and my producing partner is to bring back this program. So, um, you know, at one point in time, um, oh my gosh, hold on. I'll pick back that back up. At one point in time, Camden, New Jersey was the most dangerous um, town in in the country and New Jersey itself, actually, um, at this time in the 90s. And um, the people there really wanted to get get a hold of that and figure out what they can do to actually put Camden back, you know, on its feet and the state of New Jersey back on its feet as well and really turn things around there. And Jim Plusis, who has been a U.S. Marshal under Bush and he's the U.S. Marshal for um, the state of New Jersey, um, he came together with a bunch of incredibly smart, passionate you know, workers, um, people for social justice and for um, human rights, and also with the clergy of New Jersey. And they all came together to create a program called Fugitive Safe Surrender, where if people that were on the run, and most of them, by the way, on the run from these petty warrants that they had out for their arrest of like traffic tickets or couldn't pay for alimony or couldn't pay, you know, and they weren't able to re-enter society and regain their life or have a second chance because they had these warrants following them wherever they went. They couldn't get a driver's license. They couldn't get a job. And what happens when people can't actually, you know, support themselves, you commit crimes because you have to survive. So they decided to create a program where they get a bunch of judges to um, essentially volunteer their time. And they did it at the church, the local church. So the police came together law enforcement came together and the clergy came together to do this program on behalf of the state of New Jersey. And over the course of five different fugitive safe surrender programs that happened in the entire state of New Jersey, they were able to give over 18,000 people their lives back. And I just, one, I want to talk about it because I feel like we often make really snap judgments against people who find themselves in these unfortunate situations. But, and what I would say to that person is like, how many times have you gotten a traffic ticket? How many times have you sped? How many times have you gone through a red light and that ticket came in the mail or that police handed you that ticket and you just paid it? What if you can't pay it? What if you literally cannot pay it because of the cycle of poverty that's happened in your life and what you were born into? And so I really want people to start thinking about human beings as human beings, what, what happened in their lives to get them to where they are. So we are doing a project, we're doing a documentary and a narrative movie based on this entire program and what happened. And, um, and we want to use that essentially to be able to create, create programs like this throughout the country. So people don't have to run for their lives anymore. They can come and they can actually get a real second chance. Awesome stuff, Nikki. Um, once again, thank you so much for coming on today. For the folks at home who may want to connect with you on social media and everything that you do in on screen and off it, um, I know you mentioned your Instagram handle before, but can you give it one more time for the audience? Absolutely. <laughs> um, it's uh, Nick Deloach, N I K D E L O A C H. Awesome. Come follow me. Yeah, I do. And I can attest it's a, it's a great follow and, uh, it'll definitely make you feel good this holiday season as will five more minutes, which again is airing on Hallmark movies and mysteries on Saturday, November 20th. And, um, yeah, be sure to check it out. Nikki, thank you again. 
Thank you so much, Al. Thanks, everyone, for listening. All right, folks, that'll close out the ball game here on Break of Bat. This is Al Malafronte signing off. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Break a Bat. This is produced by the fine folks at the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit and subscribe at bpn.fm slash breakabat. You can find me online at break underscore a underscore bat underscore podcast. And you can also find the Broadway Podcast Network on Instagram at Broadway Podcast Network. It's been so great having you here with us today, and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.